Hello and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as you know, this is the podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and its deeper meanings. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. So, as every week, I have to ask you, before we start, do you have your Bible ready? Because we are about to get into studying Scripture and studying the Word as we continue on with the Sacrificial Day of Atonement series, Part 5. Now I will turn it over to my co-host. All right, thank you very much. What we want to do is to continue where we left off. <clears throat> and by way of review, we have been looking at the sacrificial system and how the blood was circulated throughout the sanctuary tabernacle. And we were looking at at least five of the phases that we have gone through. The first phase was the confessional phase. Second was a slaying phase. The third was the application phase in the courtyard. And the fourth was the applicational stage or phase in the sanctuary tabernacle. And the fifth phase was the cleansing phase. And we want to do the sixth, and that'll be another confessional phase of which is similar to the first confessional phase. But in this particular phase, we want to deal with the scapegoat. And then we should be concluding uh, with the seven days uh, next week. And then we'll take all seven of these phases and see how they work out in antitype. We have just been dealing with the type, but we'll get into the antitype. So we are in the sixth phase called the confessional phase. And so what we'd like to do is turn in our Bibles to Leviticus. And we want to look at Leviticus chapter four and then in Leviticus chapter 4, we want to be able to see a process as we deal with the confessional phase. Now here in Leviticus chapter 4, and we're also looking at verse number 4. <clears throat> and here it reads, it says, And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yah." and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before Yah. So in this particular passage, it's, it's talking about when they brought the sacrifice, how they were to lay the hand upon the head of the sacrifice. And in doing so, they were carrying on a process, and we'll, we'll be dealing more with that process as we go on. In addition to that text, we want to also turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 16, and in that 16th chapter, we're going to look at verse 21, Leviticus 16, 21. Okay, in very much the same manner in which they did the sacrificial offering for sin on the goat for for Yah, Yah had a goat, and we also have the scapegoat. And now as we deal with the scapegoat, we want to look at the same process, but there were some differences, and so we'll be pointing those out as we go. So here in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 reads, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So as we deal with the confessional stage, what we're dealing with is how the sins of Israel were transferred to the scapegoat. So in this part of our discourse, we want to look at the confessional phase in a sense of understanding how the blood is related to confession. 
when we consider the fact that the laying, the laying on of the hands of both the repentant and the priest upon the head of the scapegoat was an act of transference. In this act of transference, we want to see what takes place in the process. What we have already seen thus far is that the blood of the sacrifice is carried to different parts of the sanctuary tabernacle and applied. What we want to be able to conceptualize is that the blood is representative of two basic factors. The first basic factor that the blood represents is life. Okay. It represents life. And let us turn to, uh, let us look at Leviticus 17. And we want to look at verse number 11. Here in verse 11 of the 17th chapter of Leviticus, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay. It tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And then we'll read also in verse 14 of the same 17th chapter of Leviticus, it says, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat no blood, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. So the first basic factor when we deal with blood is dealing with life. And the second basic factor is the kind of life that one lives, be it a righteous life or a sinful life. Therefore, when we think in terms of the blood of the sacrifice being circulated and applied to different parts of the sanctuary tabernacle, we must think in terms of a life being circulated around in the sanctuary tabernacle. As we pointed out, the lifeblood of the sacrificial offering was pure, and the lifeblood of the repentant was impure, representing, respectively, a righteous life and a sinful life. However, since the life of the sacrifice and that of the repentant made an exchange when the confession was made, and as we read in verse 21 of the 16th chapter, it says that Aaron confessed all of the iniquities and the transgressions upon the head of the scapegoat, which meant that all of those sins was transferred that Israel had accumulated that year was put on the scapegoat. They were transferred. So when he put his hands upon them and confessed the sins, then all of Israel's sins went on to the scapegoat. When the repentant lays his hand upon the goat's head and confessed his sin, a twofold process of transference took place on, the, on, on Jehovah's goat. Now, when we look at Jehovah's goat, two, two, two cases of transference took place. The repentance life of sin is transferred to the sacrifice and the sacrifice life of righteousness is transferred to the repentant. Consequently, all the lifeblood of which the priest is officiating in and around the sanctuary tabernacle is sinful blood, which means a sinful life. So what we are experiencing is the priest making applications of the blood in various parts of the sanctuary tabernacle is that he is making known to Elohim the sinful life of the sacrifice which was transferred to it by the repentant. When the repentant confessing his sins over its head, 
the scapegoat took all of those sins. So let us think in terms of the reality that is taking place. Such a reality is that the sinner's life has been given to the sacrificial goat. And the goat's blood is caught in a basin when it is slain. Therefore, his slain blood in reality is the slain life of the sacrifice who died for the repentant. So what we experience when the priest makes an application of the blood, that he is the Lord's goat, he is making an application of the life which died in place of the other. So when the repentant brought that lamb or that goat or that bullock, and he confessed his sins over the head, then his sins was transferred to the goat, and the goat's life of righteousness was transferred uh, to the repentant. The blood becomes the proof that the sinful life of the repentant is atoned for by the death of the goat. Now remember, this is uh, Yah's goat, because the scapegoat is not going to be put to death. Therefore, wherever Elohim sees the blood, he knows that such blood is evidence that the sacrificial life of the goat has both satisfied the claims of the breaking of Yah's law and the penalty for doing so. What we have looked at is how the life of a sinner is atoned for in the sanctuary tabernacle. Now we want to see how the life of the scapegoat and confession is processed. Okay, so we know when a Lord's goat, the sinner's sins are put on, on, that, on that goat, and then the life of the goat, which is a pure life, a holy life, an innocent life, is transferred to the repentant. So the repentant leaves the sanctuary free of sin, but the ransom or the sacrifice that he brought has now taken on one sin so that when the throat is cut and the blood is caught in the basin, that's sinful blood. And so now all of the sins are on Yah's goat, but then when it comes to the scapegoat, uh, according to Leviticus 16, 21, the same process takes place. But when this, when this process takes place on this particular uh, goat, it, it's not going to be a twofold uh, transference. The only transference that we're going to experience is that when the priest began to lay his head, hands upon the head of the scapegoat and confess all of the iniquities and transgressions that Israel has made, they're going to be transferred to the scapegoat. So when we observe the confessional phase, when it comes to that of the, of the dead goat, which is called Yah's goat, and the live goat, which is called the scapegoat, we'll see that the process which goes on and transference is very much the same. At this juxtaposition, let us undergo this process of confession with the uh, with the scapegoat, because we see the Yah's goat was killed, and when it was killed, it was killed for all of the sins that Israel has committed. <laughs> but now the priest is going to take all of these scans, and now he's going to put it on what we call the scapegoat. And they call it scapegoat in Hebrew, they call it Azazel. Now, when Azazel gets, this, gets the particular sins placed upon its head, then it cannot impart any righteousness to the, to, to the priest, the one that has put the sins upon it. It can only receive sins, but it cannot give any righteousness back to the priests. So that's the difference between what we call the scapegoat and Yah's goat. Yah's goat, we confess the sins on that goat, and that goat gives 
the life of righteousness to the repentant. But on the scapegoat, you confess all of the sins and transgression and iniquities on it, but it cannot give you any righteousness or any sanctification. It can only receive the sins. So when the repentant confess one sin over the scapegoat, then all of the sins are simply just imparted there. And by the laying on of hands on the head and confessing all of these uh, sins, iniquities, and, and transgressions, uh, that was a symbolic gesture of transference of one's sins upon the scapegoat. And when this was done, the scapegoat in turn had to be led out into the wilderness. So once having made the ex the 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 uh once having made the transference of all of the sins of Israel, then the scapegoat had all of those sins placed upon it. Now uh in 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 laying all of the sins upon the scapegoat, then what this meant is that Israel was now in a position not only to have received the, the forgiveness and the pardon of sin, but now Israel is in a position of having all of their sins taken away. If you remember that when Israel would come to the sanctuary every day, they would confess their sins and get pardoned for their sins. But the blood that was sprinkled in the sanctuary from Yah's goat accumulated for 360 days. And as it accumulated in the sanctuary, uh, the sanctuary became unclean with the sinful life of the blood of the animals. So they had to clean it once a year. And this once a year cleaning was what they call the day of atonement which would mean the day of judgment or the day of cleansing, or it could be called the day of covering because Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, it meant a covering. So when you talk about the day of atonement, you're talking about a covering. So what is to be covered? Well, the sins of the people are to be covered. And so when the sins were covered, it was a symbolical representation that their sinful life had been covered. And they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it in the sanctuary and it accumulated in the sanctuary. And when the day of atonement would come, this blood is to be removed in tight. However, in antitype, the sinful life of the repentance, which have accumulated in the sanctuary. And when the day of atonement comes, the sinful life had to be done away with. So let us now see how the sinful life of the lives of Israel was done away with once having been transferred uh, to the scapegoat. Now we go back to Leviticus 16, 21. It says, And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So what we see in this verse is the very much the same process which took place when the repentant confessed one sin over the head of Yah's goat. However, while there are similarities in this confessional phase, yet there are also some differences as to how this process is carried out with the scapegoat by way of review on the day of uh, atonement. There were two goats respectively. Okay. And so when we read in Leviticus uh, chapter 16 and verse 15, it tells us it tells us that uh, <clears throat> the blood was sprinkled from Yah's goat in the sanctuary, 
But when we come to the scapegoat, it's a little different. Now, in verse 15 of the 16th chapter, it says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So when they took the blood of Yah's goat, they would sprinkle it in the sanctuary. They would sprinkle it before the mercy seat, and they would sprinkle it, sprinkle it, uh, uh, they would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was right on the ark, on top of the ark of the covenant, where you had two angels. They were called cherubims. One was on one end of the mercy seat and one was on the other end of the mercy seat and their wings arched up and they touched one another and the other wing arched up and touched the walls of the sanctuary. But what we're looking at is between those cherubims with their arched wings touching one another, you had the Shekinah glory, which represented Yehoah. Okay, so when they sprinkled that blood upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, Elohim looked at the blood and when he saw the blood, he saw the sacrifice of a sinful life and he knew if they had a sinful life that was there, then those animal sacrifices had given their lives of righteousness to the repentant and the repentant took away a righteous life and the animal sacrifice now had a sinful life. And so that was sinful blood. But the priests on this particular day was to take this blood and he was to clean, clean it out of the sanctuary. And when he cleaned it out of the sanctuary, that was a symbolical act that he was cleansing the life or the life of Israel from uncleanness. And he was not only pardoned, and forgiven the sins, but now he was cleaning it, all of their record of sin. He was cleaning it away. And how did he do it? Well, when, when the way that he would do it is to take all of their sins, according to verse 21 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus, and confess the same sins that Israel has confessed, and they would confess it over the head of the scapegoat and just like Yah's goat received the sins, so did the scapegoat receive the sins. So by way of repetition, when the scapegoat received the sins, it could not give anything back to the priest. All of the sins were simply on the scapegoat. So the scapegoat was uh, taking on the sins of Israel. Just, just as we looked at uh, Yah's goat, so we look at this goat in the same way, but the only thing different between the scapegoat, it receives sins, but it could not give any righteousness uh, to the one who gave the sins. Now, when we consider the fact that what this was, when this was done, the goat of Yah was slain and his blood was collected and applied and sprinkled as evidence of a sinful life. And this sinful life was to be put upon the scapegoat. So when we look at the scapegoat, the scapegoat was the one that ultimately to receive all of the sins of Israel. This meant that Israel's life of sin was both forgiven and pardoned. And now the sinful life of Israel, which had been placed on the goat, and the goat was slain for them, this blood extracted and applied in the sanctuary became a testimony to the fact that Israel's sins were confessed, forgiven, and pardoned. However, because of the blood-stained sanctuary, which in antitype was the sinful life of Israel, which contaminated it, this contaminated blood of the goat represented the record of the sinful life of Israel. And now on the day of atonement, their sinful record is to be removed. How was that record of sin to be removed? 
it was to be removed in very much the same way as it did with Yah's goat, even though the process was the same as it was when Israel's sins was transferred to Yah's goat, it would be the same for the scapegoat. However, the outcome would be different. Let us now <clears throat> deal with the difference of this particular scapegoat. Here we find that the priest lays hands upon the his both hands upon the head of the scapegoat and confesses over him all of the iniquities of the children of Israel, according to verse 21, Leviticus 16. Once having confessed Israel's sins on the live goat is where the outcome is different. For the dead goat, so you say, the dead goat received sins and gave, gave up his life of righteousness. So at this juxtaposition, we want to observe the outcome of the scapegoat after Aaron confessed all of Israel's sins upon it. Once the sins of Israel were placed upon the scapegoat, like they were placed upon Yah's goat, the scapegoat, like Yah's goat, could receive sin, but the scapegoat couldn't change sin. The scapegoat purpose was to take the sins of Israel and to be sent into the wilderness. So once Israel's sins were confessed by Aaron, the scapegoat, this meant that Israel's record of sin was removed. So now when we turn in Leviticus chapter 16, and we look at verse number 10. Now we want to pay particular attention to this because a lot of people, when they read this verse and they see the word atonement in there, they actually think that this goat is atoning for their sins. But we want to make something clear here that because the word atonement is mentioned in this verse, that this goat is not atoning for sin. Okay, so we want to look we want to look at that process. So when we talk about atonement, we're talking about uh, someone who can cover our sins. Just like we say, the word atonement comes from the word kipper. Kipper means to cover. So in verse 10 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus, it says, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat. So in other words, when they cast lots, one lot fell for Yehoah, and the other lot fell for the scapegoat. And he is saying the lot that fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before Yehoah to make an atonement with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Okay, so what we want to look at that in this sense, it says when they cast lots, one lot fell for the goat they were going to get for Yehoah, and the other goat was the scapegoat. So when they cast a lot and, the, and it fell on the scapegoat, then they didn't kill that goat. That goat stayed alive. But that was the same goat that Aaron took all of the sins of Israel and he put it upon the head of that scapegoat. And once he'd done that, he was ascended into to the wilderness. When it says that the scapegoat was made an atonement, many draw the conclusion that it was being redeemed redemptive. However, that is not the case in this scenario. Rather, in this instance, the scapegoat simply becomes the covering for all of Israel's sins. Okay. It does cover all of Israel's sins, but it has no redemptive power. It has no redemptive power. Now, Yah's goat, when it covers the sins, when he took it on, he could, he could, that that goat could impart the power over sin, but the scapegoat couldn't. It could receive sin, but it had no power to deal with sin. This covering had more to do, this scapegoat's covering had more to do with accepting confessed sins of Israel and sent into the wilderness. Yah's goat was the redemptive goat, which takes away sin, and the sin which it took away was eventually placed upon 
the scapegoat. And the scapegoat was given the same sins from Yah's goat to perish with them in the wilderness. Let us close this sixth phase of the confessional stage by looking at the cycle of sin. Now, we want to look at the cycle of sin. Okay. Now, when we look at the cycle of sin, we want to turn, we want to turn to Genesis. We want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, here in Genesis chapter 3, we want to read verses 9 through 12. Notice what it says. It says, And Yah Elohim called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So the first thing that we're looking at, we're going to look at the cycle of sin. Uh, Adam got sin from Eve, okay? And then when we read verse 13, it says, And Yah Elohim said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Okay, so Adam got it from Eve, and Eve got it from the serpent. Okay, let us turn to the book of Revelation. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, and in Revelation chapter 19, in Revelation chapter, let me see, I think it's Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 12, okay? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 is what we want. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So what we see here is that it mentions that when the dragon was cast out of heaven, he had a number of titles, and one of the titles was, they called him the great dragon. And then they called him the serpent. Why did they call him the serpent? Because he used the serpent in the garden of Eden to deceive Eve. And they said they called him the devil and Satan. And he says one of the things that he did, he deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth. And when he was cast to the earth, where did he go? He went straight to the garden of Eden where the first couple were created. And he convinced Eve to eat of the forbidden and broke the covenant with Elohim. So Adam got, Adam got sin from Eve. Eve got it from the serpent and the serpent got it from Satan. Okay. All right. Let us go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. We want to look at chapter uh, 28, Ezekiel 28. Okay. Now in Ezekiel chapter 28, we want to look at verse number 15. Ezekiel 28:15 says this. It said, and this is speaking about one of the cherubims, uh, and they call it the covering cherub. And earlier, when I mentioned about the Ark of the Covenant, it had two cherubims on it, which was two angels, and a covering cherub. In verse 14 of the 28th chapter, in verse 14 it says, "Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth." In other words. Uh, a covering cherub was one that stood on the Ark of the Covenant. And as I pointed out, when Moses had the sanctuary, he built the Ark of the Covenant. He had the mercy seat in which upon the mercy seat you had two cherubims. So what we see at one time, Satan was one of these covering cherubs. He was on the Ark of Elohim, and he was in the presence of the Shekinah glory, which was in the presence of Elohim himself. And so the Bible is saying uh, about Satan, he said, thou art the anointed cherub that cover it, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of Elohim. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now notice what verse uh, 15 says. It said, thou was perfect 
in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So here's what we want to see. We want to see that Adam got sin from Eve. Eve got it from the serpent. The serpent got it from Satan. And where did Satan get it? Satan manufactured sin. He manufactured it. He was the one that created sin. He was the author of it. He was the father of lies. So when we look at sin, sin came from Satan. Now, what we want to see with that scenario is, is that on the Day of Atonement, when we consider the Day of Atonement, Satan passed his life of sin on to Israel, okay? When Israel sinned, they were actually following Satan because he was the author of sin. So Satan passed his sin, his sinful life, to Israel, and Israel, on the Day of Atonement, passed its sinful life on to Yah's goat. So when Yah's goat came, Israel put all of their sins on Jehovah's goat who died for them. And then once all of the sins was on Yah's goat, Yah's goat passed it on to the scapegoat. And the scapegoat was sent into the wilderness. So in other words, what we are looking at succinctly is this. Sin ended up where it started. It started with Satan, and it ended, ended with Satan because the goat, Azazel, is the one that started the sins, and eventually they'll be placed right back on, on him. And the, scapegoat, and the scapegoat was sent out into the wilderness by a fit man. Subsequently, sin ends up where it started, and we can see this taking place on the Day of Atonement, that all of the sins on the Day of Atonement goes back originally to the one who started sin. So we are closed there, and there may be some observations, some questions, or there might be some insights that you'd like to share at this time. Uh, one of the things I noticed is that uh, it seems that everybody passed the blame rather than just admit they did wrong. Adam mm -hmm. passed the blame, said, it's this woman you created for me. Then Eve was like, well, it's the serpent. And, you know, both of them knew that eating from the tree was wrong, but neither one of them said, you know, I was wrong. You know, I'm just passing the blame. Mm -hmm. well, well, that's quite an interesting observation. I'll tell you why. Because uh, when they started playing what we call the blame game, what, what was really going on, if you look at it from a deeper aspect, they were not really blaming one another. They were actually blaming Elohim. They were, you, you, when he said, the woman you gave me, in other words, he's saying, Elohim, <laughs> in actuality, you're the cause of it, because if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't be in this situation. That is true. Yeah, that's what he's trying to blame. And, 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 I, and I'm glad you raised that, that, that particular question. Uh, that observation, because l let me say something about, about what you just said. Generally, uh, when we caught in sin, generally, we, go, we, we have the tendency, and this is one of the ramifications of sin. Once you sin, you start blaming somebody else for it. True. Yeah, that, True. That's, that's generally what we do. We can't take the responsibility for ourselves. And just like you said, they start playing the b blame game, okay? Now, if you look through, through the Bible, especially in the life of David, when David wrote the 51st division of the Psalms, uh, after he had committed the act with Bathsheba, he, he didn't want to confess it. Mm. It wasn't until Nathan the prophet came and he told David a story. He said, well, David, um, there was a man, and he, all, he had, all this man had was one ewe lamb. And he said he nursed this little new lamb up and brought it up. And matter of fact, the lamb that he had, he, he said, David, he drank out of his own cup. And that, that was all he had. And he said the king, uh, the, the, uh, the ruler came, and he, the ruler had many sheep and lambs, but he came and took the goat, I mean, took the lamb out of this man's hand. And that's all he had was this little ewe lamb, and he took it and killed it for his guests. 
And David was so infuriated, he said, the man that did this shall die. And Nathan looked at David and he said, you are the man. Because he knew if he had confronted David head on by saying, you sin, David was probably try to get out of it. So he told him a story similar to what he did. And David recognized his sin. He knew he sinned. He recognized it in this man. So if he recognized sin in the man taking the little ewe lamb, he had to recognize his sin. So when Nathan got to David, he told him this story, and David pointed out to him that the man was wrong, and then Nathan told David, he said, David, you are the man. And that's when David confessed his sins, and when he confessed it, then uh, he was able to not only ask Elohim to create in him a clean heart and a new spirit, but he was able to get that burden by confessing it he was able to get it off. And this is what we were looking at this evening, that when we confess our sins, he'll pardon and he'll forgive. But on the day of atonement, he does away with the record of it. Wow. Now I have another question. It's kind of a, a two part question. Is there any significance when Aaron laid both hands upon the head of the sheep and, um, also, is there any significance to the laying of hands on the head as as opposed to another part of the body of the okay. lamb? Okay, very good. Okay, those are some good questions. Okay, okay now, uh, in my understanding of laying both hands uh, is, is the fact that you have a left side and you have a right side. Okay. Okay, okay now... Uh, Generally, when you de deal with both hands, uh, it's kind of like somewhat of a universal thing. Okay, now when one hand was laid on it, you can look at it from the standpoint, it was the individual sins of the individual, because that's what they did. The Bible said they just put one, from what I know it sent, just would put one hand. And when they put the one hand on the then that was a individual sin. Uh -huh. But now when you, well, when they put two hands on it, just like in the book of Revelation, when it says in, the, in Revelation 10, when it says that the angel, he put one feet upon the land and he put another feet upon uh, the river. Uh -huh. Okay. Now uh, one hand was representing the land and the other was representing the uh, and the, the the sea. So by putting both hands up, what he was saying is that this is a universal prop, uh, prophecy. It's going to deal with the whole world, okay? So by laying both hands uh, upon the goat, one of the things I've been able to observe is that it meant not just the individual sins, because on the Day of Atonement, universally all of Israel's sins was going to be atoned for all of them. Okay. Not just, not just for the individual sinner, but universally all of the sins of Israel. And so he laid both hands on there to let you know from the North to the South and the East and the West, all of those sins are going to be laid upon, upon, upon the head uh, uh, of the scapegoat. Okay. Now as for the, why he did it, why he did it for the head. Okay. That was a, that was a few reasons why he did it for the head. And so let us look at some of the reasons that the Bible, that the Bible gives. Okay. Now, when you deal with the head, you're at least dealing with, you're dealing with, a, a, a you get a, you're dealing with the thinking of a person because that's what we think from our head. In other words, when we deal with the head, we are dealing with cognitive factors uh, to be able to think and to reason. Uh, when the Bible, even in the book of Revelation, says that you are sealed in your forehead. Now, if you know anything about the forehead, the forehead is where you have the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe. Uh -huh. Now, when you study the brain, the frontal lobe is where you reason and where you think. And if you damage the frontal lobe of your brain, it would impair your thinking ability. Uh -huh. Okay, so now, when you, when you look at... When you look when sin 
came into the world, when it came into the world. The Bible says that uh, after they had sinned, then the penalty was that they would die. But in Genesis 3.15, let's turn to Genesis, uh, I believe it's 3.15. Let's look at something okay. as we deal with the head. Okay, here in Genesis uh, 3.15, uh, it says, I would put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, in this was a prophecy that he was going to send the Messiah to come and eventually atone for the sins of Adam and Eve. But in atoning for it, the one that would come, then it said the seed of the woman, and then as it talks about the seed of the woman, bruising his head, okay? He said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. In other words, talking about the serpent and the woman. So the serpent made us sin, but all people had to come through the womb of a mother. But one of the seeds would be the serpent, and the other seed would be the Messiah. Hmm. And it said that the Messiah would bruise the head of the serpent. He would bruise his head, but the serpent would bruise his heel. Now, uh, what it's trying to portray to us is that the greater damage would be done to the head, which the Messiah would do to the serpent, but the serpent would bruise his heels, but the heels would, would not be as damaging as bruising the head because if your feet or heel is bruised, you got the rest of your body and you can probably recuperate. But if your head has been bruised, that's a damaging thing. That's very damaging. And so it is showing the importance of the head. So when he put his hands upon the head, because the Bible, the Bible says that uh, if we obey his commands, he said he would make us the head and not the tail. So when we see the, the head is more important than, than the tail, so if they sin, they would receive the tail, but if they would obey, they would be like the head. So the head was one of the most important things, okay? Now, the most important thing you want to see about the head is simply this, is that usually when a person sin, it is something they have thought about. It is something that is in their head. This is why we have to have minds that is that is focused on righteousness because whatever the man focus on is no doubt what the behavior will become. If I got sin on my man, I'm going to have sinful behavior. If I got righteousness on my man, I'm going to have righteous behavior. So by putting his head hand on his, on, 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 on the man, it is saying that in so many words that he is saying the sinful man that you got, where did it come from? Well, it came from Satan because Satan conjured up sin in his mind. And when he did that, he passed it on to us. So what we are doing, we are taking our sinful minds and giving it back to him. And so when he takes our sinful mind, then uh, Elohim gives us his righteous mind. And that gives us a redemptive mind. And might be some studies that as we go on in the future, we'll be talking about a crucified man. And so when the man is crucified and gets sin out of it, then righteousness come into that man. And then when the man is redeemed, then our behavior is redeemed. So when he laid both hands on, on, on the head of the goat, he was saying that all of the sinful thinking and all of the sinful propensities that we have to ascend is being laid on the head of the goat because that's where sin started, his head. And so we're giving it back to him on his head. And that head is one day going to be crushed by the Messiah who will bruise his head. Well, I think that's a excellent note to uh, end this podcast for today. Well, Pastor, can you uh, take us in prayer? All right, sure will. Hello, Father, we thank you for being able to have another discussion 
And as we have looked at the seven phases or the six phases, that is, of the circulatory system of the blood, and as we have looked at the confessional stage, how ultimately all of the sins that has been confessed by thy people Israel will be laid upon the scapegoat, which is Azazel, Satan, and be laid out into the wilderness. And we pray that each day, each moment, that we may be cognizant of the fact that as we think and reason and begin to look at the various areas of our lives, that we may be able to come up to what you would have us to be and to do. So we ask that as we continue to look to you, that you would look to us and give us the things that we need in order that we may be your children, walking in obedience to your word. Thank you, Lord, for this particular podcast this day. And we pray that those who have listened, that they may be benefited by it. And as a result, that when they can see their sins, not only forgiven and pardoned, but taken even the record of their sins away, they can be pure and they can be wholesome and innocent. And most of all, oh, Heavenly Father, they can have a deeper relationship with you. And with that relationship, then the power of the spirit of Elohim connects with their spirit and helps them to walk in the way that you would have them to walk. And we pray that this walk would eventually lead us to the kingdom of Elohim. And when thou dost come, O Heavenly Father, to be able to restore thy people back to the original state in which you had Adam and Eve, we can look back and give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. We pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, that is our show for today. We want to encourage you to follow our podcast weekly. And if you have any questions or observations, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And as, he, as I always say, as it states in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, shalom.